today's parsha is, of course, the parsha of Shlach. You know, Shlach. We have the story of the spies as the main sort of opening, and uh, there's a lot of other stuff that follow, but we uh, mostly concentrate and focus on the first uh, story of the uh, of the parsha of the Shlach. And to me, it's it's actually more than just a story of Torah, like all the stories, but and it's more just than a personal uh, specific lesson, but it's a lesson in general. It's a lesson in Amuna, a lesson in trusting Hashem, a lesson in faith, a lesson in not uh, in not falling sometimes for your rationale, for thinking for thinking, you know or thinking that you're rational and you're going to figure out the best ways. And and I saw this, you know, I saw this, uh, you know, re- really, I saw this in our encounter that we took place uh, with our daughter, with Mushki. Um, I like to think of myself as a... Uh, want to say something? I think Sarah once said there was a picture between her father and Mushki. Either she looked like you, Yeah, well, that's interesting that you say that. Well, <laughs> Mushki, just you brought that up, we got sidetracked. When uh, Mushki was born shortly after my father-in-law passed away. Uh, and um, Sarah was sure that it's going to be a boy. She's going to name it after her, after her father. She was absolutely sure that it's going to be the, you know, and, you know, she convinced herself, you know, that's what I said, she wasn't rational about it, but she said that's going to be a, a boy, she's going to, and when the baby was born, and the doctor says, you got a beautiful baby girl, she says, check again, you sure? <laughs> she, she so much wanted to have a boy. Moshki, can I know you're really challenging yeah. now. Uh, she is number six. Six. Six, and, and, and then Hani came after, it was seven, and then we had the five boys. <laughs> you girl, you no, 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 no. Girl, boy. Girl, uh, boy. Girl, girl. And then five boys. That's the way they used to have it, yes? She actually came home on the day of her father's yard site. That's the day that she came home. And uh, that was actually the day. And, uh, and they actually, I said the other day, I said that um, that was actually our anniversary. Aww. He passed away uh, 10 years after we were married. Happy 10 years we were married on the, same, on the same day. But I said, look, actually I was talking to somebody, I don't know, the class today, I forget who I was talking to, but I said, you think about it, uh, here you have a person, an individual, uh, who I was talking to this morning, I mentioned that, uh, you have an individual who survived, you know, the Holocaust. You know, he was a, a survivor. I mean, he, uh, uh, he miraculously survived, you know, uh, physically. Uh, you know, he was one out of, one of, yeah, no, he, he was in the forest. He was running. He was hiding. He was in a pit and he made it through wow. miraculously. Very, very, um, you know, wow. the rest of the family all killed by the Nazis, Yimach And, um, so he made it, but not only did he survive uh, physically, which was, but he also survived spiritually. You know, he married his children and grandchildren. They're all, you know, uh, part of the Jewish community and uh, continuing to remember them and to honor them. 
I said, so he had a, a, a very special privilege. And I said, the fact that the, uh, his passing came on the day of our marriage, which means that shows the continuation of life, not the cessation. So when he passed away, he already had another generation coming and another generation doing Yiddishkeit. So that was definitely connected. But uh, what I marveled at is uh, during the time, you know, now you look back, you always say, uh, you know what, it, it worked out. But I'm starting to read some of my texts, some of my emails that I wrote at the time, you know, to some people. We were, we were devastated. We didn't, we, didn't, we were like, and I, you know, like to think of myself as a rational person, you know, so I have to say the doctors tell you the worst, so they probably know what they're talking about. I, you know, I just accept, you know, I throw this in. And Sarah would not. She had complete faith, complete amuna, and trust in Hashem that it'll be okay. Matter of fact, she had a whole fight with the doctor. Because the doctor, who's also a religious man, wears a kippah, even a little beard, you know, he's, uh, comes from a religious yeshiva, but he is, you know, a rational, you know, he deals rationally with medicine, so he's a scientific person, you know, so he goes by science, and he says, and he was telling Sarah all kinds of doom and all kinds of preparing her for the worst, and Sarah says, no, she'll be okay. He says, don't you believe in miracles? He says, no. And, or something to that effect. Maybe Sarah will quote you exactly, but he said, so Sarah said, if you don't believe in miracle, I don't want you to treat my daughter. <laughs> she said, and, but guess what? So this actually happened. She yet. must look like a she was, she, she was, but you don't, we don't even begin to know how many people's lives were impacted positively. It's unfortunately, it's a silver lining that comes out from a, a mishap, but you know, at least at the end of the day, there was a lot of, all the doctors, and you know, I was very pleased personally. You know, there were Christian doctors and there were Muslim doctors. There was a lot of, and they all. I said, it was nice to see. You know, everybody. You know, taking care of each other. It was, it was, it was a good feeling. And but she made my wife, and together with Mushkin, they made a tremendous sanctification of Hashem's name with that strong, positive, not yielding. You know, not giving up, not not despair. And just giving good energy the whole time, nonstop. And I said, you know, it almost sounds silly. You know, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound reasonable. I mean, you know, you the doctors know. I mean, they they see this every day. You know, they know what they're talking about. And the beautiful thing is, you know, and you know, right. not only was she right, that that same doctor. So she went to yesterday for a follow-up visit. Uh, Mushki went to the doctor, just to the office now to follow up visit and he said to her you have nothing wrong with you he says your thing you'll never see half as this problem again it's like a totally fluky thing everything came back uh positive nothing negative there's no nothing 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 you are 100 percent healthy 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 in the beginning i'll tell you to the extent in the beginning he told us you know uh, you're going to have to disclose when you do, you still have children to get married, you're going to have to disclose that there's a heart condition in the family, you know, because they're men. 
He said, you don't have to disclose nothing. There is no hard condition. There is absolutely guaranteed, he says, there is nothing wrong. Nothing, zero. I think, you know, maybe it was electrolytes, maybe the liquor she ate. I don't know, it was a fluky thing. There was something fluky over there that had happened. But she has a story. Uh, yeah. a story. Go ahead. No, it wasn't. Well, I just called Sarah because that was so in, incredibly inspiring, inspiring that she knew. And it was, it was like on you. And there was people that came around. You know? like yeah. She made, she made it happen. I actually believe that. She you see, I almost feel like we talked about the Six Day War. Yes. When I was a child, I mean, I was maybe 10, 11 at the time, the Six Day War. And I remember we all, six days against all the armies, and then we were like, it was like we were so proud and we were so sure that this was a miracle of Hashem. Until, you know, after time, oh, maybe we have a better army, we have better arms, the United States. But how does this explain still? I mean, even to have the idea to go to attack them, to go ahead and to be able to uh, uh, plan and execute this, 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 this mission. Six days have all of the Sinai, all of the West Bank, all of the Golan, all of everything in, in, in just six days. I mean, this is like... But then you cool down. And here too, you know, we were like, how could this happen? Well, you know, in Crown Heights, they have this volunteer right. ambulance service. So they were there right away. The people happened to be there right away, you know. But put it all together. This was an open, open miracle. Open miracle. But I also believe, like you say, you know, things could have been differently. The doctors saw something differently when they, when they brought her into the hospital. They saw a person who had damage. They saw a person who had permanent damage. That's what they saw, based on their testing and based on their visual, what they saw her. But they, you can say either they turned out wrong, or they were wrong in the first place, or Hashem helped that the trust in Him changed things around for the better. But either way, this was a tremendous, tremendous miracle for us. But what to me is like, how did she have the koach. As we were driving on Friday, you know, we didn't know what's going on. We were driving. We didn't know how serious it was until we came there. But when we came there, we realized, but she wouldn't let me say, people were calling me, my children were calling me on the telephone, what's going on. She would not let me say anything. She'll be okay. She'll be all right. She'll be healthy. I said, how did and you know what? I tie it in today with the Parsha. It ties in actually very, very yeah. profoundly uh, with the Parsha today. And, you know, in general, I mean, this is a struggle that we have. Uh, it's a struggle between faith and trust in Hashem and our intellect and understanding things and being rational about things. We know, of course, one must try, as the Rambam says, to understand and also grasp as much as we can of the greatness, of the beauty, of the splendor of Hashem, of God. If you don't study and you just say, Hashem, God, I believe you, you're missing out a lot because you're not really, uh, your mind isn't full with that. You can't really appreciate, you're not excited about it. You just say, I know it, I believe it. I believe it in my heart and I'm not questioning, I'm going to do it. But if you can have a perception, if you can have uh, insight, you have a, a tremendous excitement. So you're not just serving God, I'm doing this, but your whole being, your essence, you're becoming sort of 
uh, a vehicle, uh, a place where Hashem rests, it rests in your mind, you rest in your heart. If you can become excited, if you can intellectually understand, you can become excited. Which is, by the way, a lot of what Hasidic teaching does is, it teaches you about, you know, understanding, realizing, and when you elaborate, and when you talk about it, and you explain it, you, you, you get a much deeper appreciation. Everything that you do, you know, same thing is, even in interpersonal relationship, or even with spouses, sometimes... You need to speak out, you need to say, you either you have to say the words I love you or you have to articulate why you love them. You have to say something nice about them. When you articulate and when you say and you do, oh, hi, Domi. And you do that, so you actually create a greater level of love. You create love. So to knowing it, to studying it, to grasping it, to appreciating it, actually increases increases your level of service of Hashem. So you're not just acting as a robot, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to do what Hashem does, tells me to do, but you're actually bringing in all your qualities, all your capabilities, all your uh, talents. You're, you're, you're getting everybody involved in the service of Hashem. But then... There comes times when you don't understand. You know, there is certain things we can never understand. We can never figure out. You know, we all have questions. We all have situations. We can't make sense out of it. We don't understand and we don't have... And what do we do then? Okay, so then we resort to faith. And then we say, look, Hashem, I can't understand everything, what's happening with me. I don't understand what's happening in the world. I can't explain that, but all what it means is that not everything is explainable, that we don't have the ability to understand everything. That doesn't exempt us from trying to understand what we could. That doesn't take away from the fact that we could. But I realized, when we can see that, that sometimes people who are always using their rationale, they're always using their intellect, they have a harder time to sort of accepting things. They, because on the regular basis, what they do, that's why when you talk to a doctor who uses his science as his guideline, he goes by the science. He doesn't work by, we're only agents of Hashem, and we're only, it's hard for him to see that because he needs to, and that's his job, is to use the medical science to heal the people in the best way that we know how to. So, can expect them to sort of say, okay, no, no, science is not going to, we, we have hope for you beyond science. It's much harder for them. Or, there's sometimes a level that people are so grounded and they're so founded in the amuna and the belief of Hashem that their mind stays focused, that they don't error. They'll make a mistake. Let's take an example in Jewish history. We have the first king of Israel was the king, who was his name? Shaul. King Shaul. Shaul HaMelech. He was anointed by the prophet Shemuel. Shemuel HaNavi anointed him. He was specifically chosen by God as the one to be the king of Israel. That was in Shemuel HaNavi. Anointed him and he made him for the king. And then Shemuel HaNavi 
gives him over a prophecy of God that he should go and wipe out the Amalekim, the Amalekim. And we know that Shaul thought that he listened and he did and he killed all the Amalekim. However, he felt bad. There were some very good cattle over there. He says, what's the use of killing cattle? To, to know, there's no use in that. It's waste. Why don't we take these cattle and bring them for an offering to Hashem? At least we'll do something positive with them. It's just a waste. Actually, he lost his kingdom because of that. It wasn't, God says to him, you know, you didn't listen to Hashem, you lost your kingdom. But the question is, he meant well, that's for sure. He didn't mean bad, he meant well. He, he uses, right, there, there is no benefit seemingly to killing the cattle without any benefit. So he said, we might as well utilize it for something positive. What did the prophet Shmuel say to him in his rebuke? He said to him, He says, to listen to Hashem is better than a good offering. In other words, to follow Hashem's command is more valuable than a good offering. Which means, so what does it mean? But he meant well. But you know, people who are uh, on a high level, who are intelligent, who are accomplished, they in general lack the level of subjugation that is necessary in front of a prophet, in this case Shmuel, or even before Hashem, which means they don't fully listen, they don't fully pay attention, and sometimes they use their intellect in a way in which they deviate from their message, what they were meant to do. Now, if you take a look, this is really the story of the Maraglin that took place in the in today's Parsha. Because A, a little surprising, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not telling you to send spies. If you choose to, go ahead and do it. Whoever heard God giving Moshe Rabbeinu choices, the whole Chumash is full. God says to Moshe, speak to, tell them, tell them what to do. Seems like the only time God says to Moshe, go ahead and choose, okay? Why did God tell him to choose and not tell him what to do? Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu knew was always very devoted and he always listened, did exactly what Hashem told him, right? Who are the people that we think that Moshe Rabbeinu would choose? Moshe Rabbeinu chose the best people for the job. He, cho- he chose the leaders, he told the elite, the greatest Tamidic Chachamim, the greatest sages, the greatest, they were the leaders, they were the distinguished people, they were the heads of the community. These were the people who were the outstanding, greatest, best people for the job. And as Rashi points out, when they were chosen by Moshe Rabbeinu, they were, they were great Sadiqim at the time. So what happened? How do these greatest Sadiqim, these greatest righteous people, come back and give back such a bad report? 
and they mixed everything up and we had to stay in the desert the whole the whole story how did it, how did this happen all of a sudden one of the things that Moshe Rabbeinu told them was to figure out to see the way that it's easiest to conquer the land of Israel. But Moshe Rabbeinu did not send them to find out if we can conquer the land of Israel. He sent them to find out what is the best way to conquer the land of Israel. But when they came back, they came back with a report that we will not be able to conquer. He says, the people are too strong, we can't go there. They came back with one report. What happened over here? Hashem wants us many times not just to follow Him, His orders. He wants us to put in, as we were speaking before, our own two cents and our own way to figure out what we have to do. Many times, you know, you when you send somebody for a mission, you don't micromanage them. You tell them, you know, I'm going to tell you, do A, B, C, D. No. Listen, I trust you. This is the task that you have in front of you. You go ahead and figure out what is the way, the best way to accomplish the task. If I can say this also in a more relevant matter, the Rebbe would send out shaluchim to various different places. And the Rebbe says, I'm not going to tell you you should do A, B, C, and D. I'm just telling you, bring Hashem to the masses and bring the masses to Hashem. Figure out, go to your community, figure out what you can do, figure out how to do it. I'm not telling you what to do. The Rebbe says, to begin with, go ahead and figure. Put in your own two cents. But remember, don't deviate from the mission that I'm sending you to do. In other words, don't change the mission. Don't go ahead and come up with other ideas and don't think that you can figure out better. I'm in the middle of a class now. I'll call you back. So, this is, in a way, that many times Hashem wants us. Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, yes, I can tell you, go there, you'll be able to conquer it. But over here, I want you to put in, I want it to come from you. So that you don't say, I'm going to go to Israel. Oh, we have to go to Israel. Like today, you say to people, oh, we got to go. Oh, I don't want to go to Israel. I, I'd rather stay here. I don't want to, why should I go to Israel? Oh, I'm forced to go there. No. Hashem wants us to have a deep sense of appreciation, a feeling, and to really recognize it's beautiful. The land of Israel is beautiful. It's the place where I want to be. Not because God is sending me there. He says you have to be there. It's something which I love, and it's good for me, and it's enjoyable. God says very different thing. It's an Eretz, Zovaz, Cholavadvash. It flows milk and honey. In the very literal sense, it's a beautiful land. It's a beautiful place. So of course you can just go there because God sends you to go there. But God doesn't want us to just do it. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, figure it out. Go ahead and figure out, appreciate it. 
But what happens? Who should Moshe Rabbeinu send? <laughs> I laugh. I say sometimes... The women. The women. <laughs> Who should Moshe Rabbeinu send? The women. You're right. Sometimes I feel... I feel... I don't, I don't feel that we live up to the Rebbe's expectation, even by any stretch of the imagination. What the Rebbe really expects, what the Rebbe deserves us for really to do for him, to be the Rebbe's Shaluchim, to be the Rebbe, we should really do an enormous amount more than what we're doing. We're doing a small fraction. And the Rebbe gives everybody an opportunity to be a shaliach if you want to do good work. And by the way, you don't have to be in the official roster written down your name as a shaliach. Every year is a shaliach to do some good to the community around them. You're all shluchem. Everybody is a shaliach. A shaliach from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, And if you want your shaliach of the Rebbe, you know, if you do good, you're a shaliach. So I say, I feel bad for the Rebbe that <laughs> these are the shluchem. These are the shluchim he has, you know, because we're not really living up and doing what we should be doing. I mean, we get petty about things. We're small-headed. We're we're uh, get stuck in our own uh, our own nefesh abahamis, our own yetsarhara. We 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 have our struggles. Everybody has their struggles, so we're not really. But we're we're the ones that the Rebbe has. Who is he going to send? I mean, he's not going to send them a snagdim. They're not going to go. <laughs> Who's gonna? Who's he gonna send? So this is, this is the ones that end up going. So we go. So at least, but what I'm trying to say is, who is Moshe Rabbeinu gonna send? He's gonna send the most distinguished people. Those are the best people. He didn't. He wasn't gonna send anybody secondary. But sometimes it is these distinguished, the most important people that have the biggest problem, and they have the biggest problem to be subjugated to subjugate themselves to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Hashem, and not make an error just because they're so great, because they're so big, because they're so talented, because they're such huge, great Talmidei Chachamim and leaders, and they have such capabilities, and they're so qualified, overqualified, and they're so big. So they're, everybody is a, is a, is a big shot, you know? Everybody is a macher. So they have a problem subjugating themselves for Moshe Rabbeinu and for Hashem's shlichas. That's why Shaul HaMelech made the mistake. That's why these Miraglim made the mistake. Because they lack that level of total subjugation. We can't judge them. You know, we know they were wrong, absolutely, and they did. Matter of fact, the Hasidic uh, interpretation of the Alter Rebbe explains that they had a very good rationale. Just like we say that Shaul HaMelech had a rationale in a very simple level, they had a very good rationale. So what did the uh, Miraglim think? They said the life in the desert was pretty appealing to them. Why? No jobs. <laughs> Everybody, you know, you're fed. You know, you get food stamps. And you get housing is free. You have the clouds, the clothing. I mean, you don't have to do... I mean, what do you do? You study Torah, you play cards? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do? It seems... Life, life seems good. What, what is going to wait for them to come into the land of Israel? Oh, you got to work, work, work. You got to pay your mortgage. You got to pay tuition. You got to uh, work the land. You got to... There's just so many distractions. And it's you can't, to have a direct relationship with Hashem. Exactly. Right now is in the open. That's right. Uh, yeah. And you have to go. You got to get through... You got to get through the nature. 
in the in the desert everything was miraculous the water the clouds everything was so spiritual everybody was spiritual with Moshe Rabbeinu with God's presence everything was there the cloud went with them the pillar on the fire and the cloud and, and it was just the mountains were being cut there's no scorpions there was grass was beautiful everywhere in the desert I mean what kind of this was this was heaven this was the Canadian this was the best why would we want to, where could we learn Torah as good as we can learn in the desert so they said hey why to go to Israel? What's the benefit of Israel? We don't want to go to Israel. We'd rather stay here. You know, I tell you that joke all the time, but maybe some of you didn't hear that the, uh, this, 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 this rabbi was giving a blessing to, to, uh, the, um, to this family, to this man. They treated him well, so he gives them a blessing. He says, uh, you know, do you have anything special that you need that I can bless you with? He says, no, I'm all set. You know, I have my wife, my children, and everything. I'm good. I have a house. So he says, I said, we should go to Israel. He says, oh, i got to ask my wife before I take the blessing. So he goes to his wife, and his wife says, no, 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 I don't want to go to Israel. I like it here. You've got everything here. I don't want to go to Israel. So he says, so he says go tell your wife that, uh, you know, now it's quiet and nice, but, you know, the Cossacks, they come, and they'll start, you know, it's not, it's not good for the Jews over here. So... So his wife says to him, you know, go tell the rabbi, you should give a blessing to the Cossacks to move to Israel. <laughs> yeah. I want to stay here. So, they, there's... They wanted to go back to Egypt. Well, you know, sometimes they wanted to go back to Egypt too. But, you know, that was because they were afraid because of the reward of lack of the physical thing. But, yeah, 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 yeah. But, so when you think about it is, it wasn't bad according to this interpretation. It wasn't it wasn't they were afraid physically from the physical they were afraid their spiritual level mm-hmm. and a lot of times you know throughout history uh, you know when Napoleon was at war with the Tsar so like the Alter Rebbe there was a whole big dispute between the various different uh, leaders of the Jewish community the Alter Rebbe was for the Tsar very strongly he was very afraid because of the openness that uh, Napoleon promised and the equal opportunity. He was afraid that the Jewish level of religion is going to sort of, uh, they're going to lose a lot of people to the religion. He felt that they were better. Sometimes this openness, the opportunity, you know, being, is another thing, but I'm saying a lot of times being in another environment, we're afraid to lose out in, the, in such an area. But, at the end of the day, God did not intend for people to be in the desert. That wasn't the intention of God. God's whole intention of creation of the world is for us to take the world and transform it, to take all the material things, all the physical things, to take our struggles to make us better, to make us holier, to make us greater, to give us an opportunity to become closer and reveal God in the darkness, in this low world, in the uh, empty place that seems to be empty, to show no, that God is everywhere. That was the purpose and that was the goal, so not to stay in the desert. But for the point that I'm getting at over here is these are great tzaddikim. They were talking kosher people. Here, it has to be founded on Emunah. 
And this is where I learned the lesson also in my own personal thing I started talking about before. Of course we have to be rational about things, but depending, if we are founded and we are grounded in a firm belief in Hashem, an unshakable belief in Hashem, an unshakable faith in Hashem's goodness and Hashem's kindness, so that actually becomes the vehicle of getting Hashem's blessing. If we don't allow for our rationale to get in the way and to realize that doctors, yes, but doctors are merely agents of Hashem to heal, as Rebbe said many times. They're not agents of Hashem to tell you doom that you can't be. That's not their job. That's up to God. That's not their job. If you can, if you're grounded, and I actually think that women in general, and you know, I'm blessed with a wife like that as well, who have that level of, well, it doesn't mean that they're not rational, but it's a deeper rationale. It's a rationale which is rooted in a deep sense of belief and in, 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 in Hashem, in Hashem's kindness, in Hashem's goodness. And, and she said, as she told me that, you know, Hashem would never do this to me. <laughs> said, That's what she said. You know, there was no way that I was going to accept that. You know, it's just not going. And I'm saying that gave courage and that gave chizuk and that and that even the doctor who didn't believe became a believer. <laughs> at the end, at the end, this doctor, this cardiologist became a believer. You know, he became a believer. He he actually changed his his, his tone, and he's totally, totally. Uh, he 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 didn't expect this. He 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 said no, this isn't going to happen. He didn't expect it. He says in all of his years of his practice, he says. He says there was only one other case, he said, that he had experienced seeing this turnaround, what he saw today over here, yeah. he said. So he, he didn't, so he became a believer after this, you know. I mean, after that, he says, you know what, this was the hands of Hashem. He says he doesn't have any explanation. And, but what does it tell us? You know, I mean, we were talking about before the class started, I was talking with Nancy about, it's all about, you know, it's in our mind. Everything is in our mind. That's the end. There's a lot of circumstances that are not in our control. We don't have control over them, you know. There's a whole bunch of things, you know, where where we live, where we are born, which gender. We have just a lot of things. We're just, here we are. Those are not things we have control, but we do have control about how we feel about things. And it's so helpful for a person to feel good about themselves, about Hashem, about Hashem's goodness. And that feeling actually helps you overcome even the biggest challenges, what seem like big challenges. Because if you're positive about it, then the biggest challenges, A, are not challenges, and B, it helps you overcome them. So never to allow for any thoughts it's hard. It's not hard. Because, again, because we are rational people. We're reasonable people. And that's why it was so hard for me. And that's why I uh, sort of admire, you know, that. But it was, but, but I, I, after she said it so many times, I bought into it as well. <laughs> it's not like I, I resisted it. I wanted to buy into it. But in all of, everybody has situations that bring them down, that they worry, whether it's health issues, whether it's children, whether it's, family issues, whether it's, you know, we all, everybody has their peckle, but 
so important to feel good and to have trust in Hashem, faith in Hashem, and really and, 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 and tell yourself again and again, you know, that Hashem is good and things will come out good and you convince yourself and don't think uh, a fellow was telling me today, I told him the shul today, somebody was telling me that this rabbi seemed to, you know, to come across foolish. If you have to go, go, it's okay. I'm not insulted. <laughs> no, I know you have to go. Just for the next few Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, so I know that, that this rabbi behaved sometimes in an unbecoming way. You know, he, he used to be at a chasen, at a chasen kala, he used to do things, and, and people look down on him. You're behaving like it's a disrespect. So the Talmud states that when he's passing, it was a pillar that came down that separated between him and the rest of the community. So the other rabbi said what he was distinguishing, he was in a category by himself. Why? He says it's this foolishness that he acted like a, like a fool. In other words, he was making everybody happy. And he helped them overcome their own anxieties, helped them overcome their own, you know, situations, you know, and... Uh, you know, chas and kala, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're starting a new home, there's a lot of worries, how it's going to work, you know, people are concerned. He helped other people. That put him, that foolishness, actually, the Gemara says, that foolishness helped him in a category by himself. Even to the extent that we should think to ourselves foolishness. Hey, come on, you know, be reasonable. You know, this is a problem that you really have, so what are you having faith? What do you think? You know, this is not real, you know? even to that level. That level of foolishness is actually going to work for you. That's something that is going to give you the koyach and going to give you the strength to actually overcome. The Rebbe brings down an expression of the Tzemach Tzedek who said, Tracht gut, wird sein gut. If you think positive, it will be positive. So the Rebbe says, but who says? Not everything is, not everything is always positive. There's a lot of problem, a lot of things end up bad, we know that every day, you know, we're not fools, I mean we know what happens, but the power and the trust has the privilege to bring about the blessing, so your trust in Hashem will actually bring about a change around, so I have to say, I think in my case her positive thing brought around a change, you know, brought a change you know, if it was me there maybe I would have given off bad energy. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. If I didn't have her that and maybe that would have Chazr Shalom would have so so always stay positive for yourself, for your own health, for your own issues, for your own situation. Stay positive. Don't give up. That thing will help you through. And it, not only would it help you cope, but it'll actually change the situation for the better. Of course we have to do everything in nature to help ourselves do it. But there's one thing nature doctors are only there to help us they're not there to scare us or to tell us that we can't be helped that's not their job and hopefully we'll all see Hashem's miracles we'll trust Hashem we'll have faith in Hashem and it'll bring us only happiness so that we won't have to uh, sort of dig in to have a moon and to be happy but we'll have, be happy because everything will be good and uh, that'll be great